Uh, so I always build my own dog tracker. Step zero. Uh, there. Hello. Anybody want a peanut? Hello. If you listen to You Look Nice Today, you'd know that joke. Let me know when we're up. We're up. I'm tweeting oh. right now. ABC. I'm going to tweet it again. I don't care. This is important. This is important material. This is a good show. This is going to be a good show. I just jinxed it, it didn't show. I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> might be kind of, it, might be, it might be a little long. It's going to be our worst show ever. Oh, my God. Is this what oh, people... you're, doing the, you're doing the anti-jinx? Yes. I was trying. Can you do that? Can you have an anti-jinx? Only if you they do, do this. It. They do this in... Um, I, I've asked people about this, and this is a real thing. Um, I, I sometimes unintentionally offend people with this, but I'm not a superstitious person, but I know some people are. And so I rarely say good luck to somebody. I will say break a leg. Break a leg. Do you know about this? Yeah. Well, what's the history of that? Uh, something like with um, stage acting and performance or something. And if you were if you were a stage actor and, and you say good luck, it's going to be bad mojo for the show but if you say break a leg well no one's really going to break a leg and i don't know exactly well that's exactly right <laughs> Is that a pig like that you don't eat all at once <laughs> you your, your first your first theater unit test <laughs> yeah. yes that is that is my understanding of what that is because it's considered uh it's a superstitious group the they're very theatrical mm-hmm. the actor people and uh it's true you never you never say good luck now, I, now there's one of these for for weddings too that i get wrong I always get it wrong. You're supposed to say, L'chaim. you never say like, mazel yeah, you say mazel tov, mm-hmm. or if you don't like, you can go live with your father. Mm-hmm. You say something, <laughs> there's one you say to the bride and one you say to the groom. Like you never say good luck, oh. I think, to the bride. Or uh, there's a plague of frogs. It's something from Exodus. I'm not sure. Turtles all but, the way down. Uh, turtles all the way down. That's uh, a Stephen Hawking story, right? <laughs> I think you're thinking of uh, Carl Sagan. Never tell Stephen Hawking to break a leg. That's, that's bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and to uh, the groom, you just say, uh, I'm very sorry. And um, that's not funny. No. Weddings are important. And uh, the other one, now this is true. I asked about this once we were outside the theater, uh, when we, uh, some friends and I did a performance in Seattle. Once we were outside the theater and away from the property, I asked some professional performers, is it true that you're never supposed to say Macbeth? In, in a theater. Have you heard of that one? I've never heard of this one. Let me double check that. I might be drunk. Beth, theater, luck. Boy, I hate it when people spell it T-H-E-A-T-R-E. Theatrical. Oh, my goodness. Show notes. Dan, where can people find show notes for this episode? Five by five. We haven't done that in a while. Five by five dot TV slash B is in boy. Two is in the number. W is in women slash 96. 96. 96. Nine. Six. I have just added two show notes, uh, the Wikipedia page for theatrical superstitions. And the number one, well, number two, mm, never wish good luck. It's considered bad luck to wish someone good luck at a theater. You say break a leg. Um, okay. So, so far, so good. But number one, numero uno, you never say Macbeth. You, say the, Scot- you say the Scottish play. Why? You asked me, you asked me why, Dan? Yes. Well, I don't know if I could do it from memory. I okay. think uh, the this play by Shakespeare, Shakespeare's play Macbeth, is said to be cursed, so actors avoid saying its name. Actors also avoid even quoting the lines from Macbeth before a performance, particularly the witches' incantations. Do you know how hard that must be if you're an actor and you're getting ready to go out? You've been doing a show for a year. You're on Broadway. Can you imagine all the time you, you're sitting there and you want to you want to do the incantations from mm-hmm. from the witches and Macbeth? That's one of those things like, you know, like uh, Apollo 13, right? Don't press this button kind of thing. 
Oh yeah, they pressed the wrong button and the, the thing. Then they put tape up. Then they put tape over. It says yeah. no matter what happens, don't press this button. Yeah. That's probably written better than that. That wasn't Robert Zemeckis, was it? Who directed that? Uh, what's that, that was uh, no. That had uh, a Cliff Howard. Cliff Howard uh, directed that one. Opie wasn't that Opie? Opie, yeah. Opie and Andy. Boy, uh, I hope Ron stays alive for a good long while. He's uh, he's Cliff's. Uh, he got ticket. thin. He looks good now. Who's Wait, that? is, Who, is uh, that the meathead or is that the other talking one? Talking about Dan Morin? No, I think you think of his father. <laughs> Dan <Brooks. Moore. laughs> he's a handsome man. <laughs> Who, Rob Reiner? Hmm? Never met him. Doesn't Ten he live minutes. out there? Hmm? No. Oh, come on. He lives in, uh, in Hollywood. Mel Brooks comes over to his house every night and they watch TV together. Didn't you see that? Can you drive to Hollywood from where you are? Mm-hmm. It's a very long <laughs> drive. It's, it's why Virgin America exists. <laughs> You get on there, you get some purple lightning, you get a box of sausage. Before you know it, you're in that godforsaken village of Los Angeles. Mm. I don't know. Dan, have you ever been there? No. Uh, LAX only. Oh, God. What a toilet, with all due respect. Doesn't, it seem, and, and doesn't that give me a good picture of the rest of LA, though? Mm-hmm. What is like, happening out there? Is it raining? They're moving fur- it is, but they're moving furniture around out there. Moving furniture in the rain, just so you know, also considered bad luck in a theater. You have to do, they call it uh, striking the set. You have to do that before uh, the incantations. It's just considered, it's just considered etiquette in a theater. Okay. Also, don't, don't, uh, you know, uh, don't make loud noises with your candy wrapper. Uh, That affects the gaffers and the grips and sometimes the best boys. You know, I went to a movie with my daughter this week and it was good. You want to hear it? Yeah. 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 Went to see Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph. I'm going to wreck it. I got a Wreck-It Ralph guy on my windowsill right here, sitting right here. Have you seen it? Nope. <gasps> but I want oh my to. My Cuberties you know, is uh, kind of rusty. You know what the key is? You got to never say Macbeth, and you got to never raise expectations. But my expectations were so low. Um, we're, it was between that and that Guardians movie. But I understand there are some serious holiday spoilers. Oh, the Guardians movie, that win- winter is coming, that one. Isn't that, doesn't that have uh, childhood holiday spoilers in it? Oh, no, you're thinking of The Hobbit. Okay. That's not out yet, is it? People were taking photos with the big cutout of The Hobbit at the movie theater. Do you mean the little cutout? (laughs) (laughs) The little cutout. The wee cutout. Um, (laughs) The second cutout. They call it selfies when you take a self-portrait. Is that what they call it? Anyway, so... Is that like like grifting? I looked at one of those. It's, uh, yeah, they call it uh, high-fiving, high-fisting. What do you call that? High-pimping? Matchbook men. Glad-handing. Schmoozing. That was the first thing I ever learned how to play on the E string. On what, guitar. the glad hand? Mm-hmm. That's like Eric, Eric Clapton was known as the glad hand. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so, big, big week. Is that Huge what people do? Tune in 40, think. It's call called the, the warm up. Eric, Eric Clapton is godly. They call him hot hand. Did I ever tell you I think Jeff Beck's overrated? Have we ever had that talk? Would you, would you just capture that, please, for a future discussion? Oh, yeah, they call him the, the human trampoline. I think. <laughs> I think you're thinking of Kent Beck. Now wait, who's the wiki guy? Is that Ward Cunningham? Who's the one in the gang of four? The Is boxer. That the boxer. Uh, I love a man in a uniform. That's that. Uh, I think you're thinking of Paul Simon song. Yeah. Um, it's pronounced Boxster with a T. Boxster. Nine eleven. <laughs> Never forget. Okay. <laughs> you want to button this up? <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. Um, Shakespeare. Anyway, that on the problem is I don't want. All I'm going to say is, if you have a child, I think it's a good movie to see. It, there are some controversial things that I would, I almost, that I've said about this movie only to my family that I will never say publicly. Okay. Because what the wrath would down on me. 
I think it's one of the best animation movies I've seen in a long time. And I think it makes better use of both animation and 3D than a lot of animated movies that I've seen. And I'm going to leave it at that. Is it a three, I mean, it's a 3D movie set up as 3D. Yeah, and I mean, usually you go to those and it's like, ah, the preview words are moving. But I, I don't know. I, maybe I was just in a good mood, probably had too much medicine or something, but I really <laughs> liked it. Anyway, I thought I cried a couple times. It's good. It's I good only cry at Rushmore. Riley. I only cry at Rushmore in the scene where... The scene which is in the office? No, no. Uh, the one where he... In, I don't want to spoil the movie, but where he no. introduces the one guy to the other guy. You know the one I mean toward the like last third of the movie where he introduces the... His father? What's his father's name? Seymour Duncan? <laughs> it's James James Duncan. James, James, James Duncan Davidson Castle. Yeah. I think you're thinking of DiMarzio. You know, he was in, are you talking about the humbuckers or uh, single yeah. coils? Well, so you can get a humbucker in a single coil yeah, size. And we need to just have a separate show. Just lop this off and make it a new property. All right, go ahead, caller. <sighs> Sorry, first time castler. You ever castled? It's a lot like docking. And you go over, it's like getting king. They call it getting king. I think they call it the Chicago castler. Chicago dog? You're talking about chili dog? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a donkey punch, but it's got that uh, Like felching. Dog. Okay. So anyway, big, big week, huge week. Uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, I thought it was, um, I thought, I thought, it, anyway, enough said. And I don't even, I don't even play the video games. I recognize Qbert. You know, Zinn is the voice of Kenneth from uh, 30 Rock and he's very, very good. Sarah Silverman, very good. Jane Lynch plays a, a hot lady from, uh, from one of those first person shooters. I thought it was extremely well done. If you're, if you're considering going to a movie with your child, and you can set aside all of the reasons not to go to a movie with your child, which are myriad. Um, it's a good one. It's very loud, Dan. The movie have, is? Have you taken your kids to a movie lately? It's no, loud. never, never, never. <sighs> the very first time we did it, we went to see, I think the first movie we ever saw was that terrible Winnie the Pooh movie. Not, not the original, not the cute one. But um, I, I, we, we walk out of them all the time just because it's, it's too loud and we'd rather go to Target. Um. <laughs> Uh, do we have any follow up before we get started? No, I don't no, no. think so. We got no. a lot, Dan. We got a lot to cover this week. This is uh, this is going to be epic. It's going to be about the art of stress-free productivity, which is a hyphenated word. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> said we never used to hyphenate. Never used to hyphenate. This is something addressed, I think, by Strunk and White, where everything starts out as two words, not the and then it gets Funk hyphenated. and Wagnall. No, no, no. I, I think you're thinking of. I got nothing. I think you're thinking of James Brown. It's <laughs> your dynamite soul brother, number one hardest working man in show business. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, uh, I've, I've started writing things down again because because of uh, because of David Allen's book, getting things done. Yeah, for real. Mm-hmm. Ticklers. Okay, so uh, for people who are who are coming in uh, coming in hot, coming in fresh on this, we're going to be. This is uh, last week in episode ninety five. We started talking about uh, David Allen's book, getting things done, which has uh, had a profound influence on uh, the way I do or don't do stuff and uh we're gonna get deeper into that this week and you had stated for the record last week that in in a real kind of mushy hard to understand way like sometimes it's very difficult to understand which multiverse part you're in but you you have kind of read the book before i can never tell dan i don't edit for content so i can't really tell when you're being serious i have read the book before did you read it all the way through before i read it probably up to the last last chapter you threw it against the wall and threw it against and i said tick tickle this i said fire on you scottish play <laughs> right bubble bubble and i said you know what action will take less than two minutes 
This one. I this threw one I got it hanging. right across the room. Got this one hanging. Here's your here's your two minute task. <laughs> Get on it. No, I, I I did read That's it. That's pretty it was, funny if you think about it. I, know. I I don't think I don't think that action has taken longer than two. You minutes. You know what? And I'll say something that it may or may not be true, but I'll um put it out there as truth. Okay. I probably read it because of your getting started with getting things done article back in in two thousand four because that was the time frame that I read it. Is that right? Yes. The the book had been out. Uh, for around three years. I was going to say, think, like a 2000, 2001? 2001 is when it, it came out. And we, we kid a lot, but it is copyright David Allen 2001. And, is oh, that oh, important let me, to let, say? Can I do the usual incantation at this yes, point? Yes, do it. Here's the incantation. <laughs> I am not associated with the David Allen company. I am acquainted with David Allen, who's a wonderful, wonderful man. But I do not have any, uh, no copyright intended. As we like to say on Tumblr. Is that important to say because the only time... No, it that- literally means nothing to say no copyright intended. In this instance, <laughs> I think I think, I think, I think, David and co. got a little bit tired of people walking up and taking a bite off their plate. Merlin. And so I, I, I want to be very clear for the record that I don't know anything about getting things done. I, uh, no, I, I know a little bit about it. But no, I mean, it, I think they appreciate it when, when people say, you know, that 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 is a David Allen joint, and yeah. and you know one thing we put in notes last week that I want to make sure to put in notes this week for legal reasons is um, a link that <laughs> David was encouraging people to use whenever they mentioned getting things done, no copyright intended, mm-hmm. uh, which is about GTD. I would have written this very differently, but um, well, let's read let's read what David says. Uh, this is uh, at uh, davidco.com/slash about dash gtd and i'm putting in show notes um gtd is the shorthand brand for getting things done there's lots of registered trademarks in here the groundbreaking work life oh man i would have written this differently the groundbreaking work life management system by david allen that provides concrete solutions for trans to for transforming overwhelm where are you what are you reading this from from the robot i just uh, can you transform overwhelm could it be a typo could it be a typo that's been up for a long time, Dan. Huh. Well, I, I, I'm not here to criticize. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know which robot I'm in anymore. Yeah. Skype, I'm clicking, <laughs> I'm clicking. And uh, <clears throat> you dingus? you're in the dingus, right? Okay. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and, and read this. Uh, <laughs> uh, Are you all right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to, this is what getting things done seeks to uh, address is the person who's trying to has four different windows where he could type things and he keeps telling his wife way of the future and keeps trying to post information about when to schedule things to Twitter. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a groundbreaking work, work life management system by David Allen that provides concrete solutions for transforming overwhelm and uncertainty. <laughs> Into an integrated system of stress-free productivity. That's a hyphen there. It's, uh-huh. kind of, it's a powerful method to manage commitments, information, and communication, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm not going to read it. But uh, it's there at uh, davidco.com slash about dash GTD. I, you know, I kid, but, but, but not really. I think, I think they don't like people just... Uh, and I, you know what? I got to tell you, I, I, as someone like Marco, who has been misquoted many times, mm-hmm. just like non-quoted, like they just make quotes up. It's very frustrating when people fundamentally misunderstand something that's important to you. Don't you think? Well, like when people try to guess why you're a Buddhist or they try to guess why you do paleo, 
and then and then come up with what that means about you. Right. Even they never- develop like a framework around that. These are heuristics we use in life, right? We holistics, uh, I think, is the. I think you think of poultices, <laughs> um, which has nothing to do with chickens, to my knowledge. I think but, I what I like about this book. Yeah. Oh, we go back to the book. No, we don't. Now it's getting things done. The art of stress-free productivity. I will put all of this into the show notes. Did you see my copious show notes? I d- I did not see them yet. I wanted notes, to be surprised. Copious. I got to be honest with you. All right, I'm going to look right now. Um, the thing you think you like about this book. Wow, look at these. These are a lot of notes. I included a bunch of stuff. So the 43 Folders site, I, I think of uh, 43 Folders as a site that I used to do. Um, I still have, but used to update a lot. That I, I said this last week, but it's worth repeating, I think. that I, In my head, anyway, uh, there were three, um, three big ideas that made 43 Folders, that got 43 Folders started. What is 43 Folders, Merlin? What is 43 Folders? It's a website about uh, finding the time and attention to do your best creative work, something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. It's not a copyright of anything. I you were involved service. in this. In I somewhere. might have a service mark. I'm not sure. I think I used to. Anyhow, um, but there were three things that really inspired me. Um, one of them was, as I've said before, and we need to find the link for this. Cory Doctorow took notes the first time uh, Danny O'Brien did his now infamous, famous, not infamous, famous uh, life hacks talk. Uh, so Danny O'Brien's life hack stuff uh, applications like uh, things like Quicksilver and stuff like that, Quicksilver in particular, but maybe arguably most importantly, uh, getting things done were, you know, and, and in retrospect, that seems merely silly, but at the time it seemed ludicrous that there could be a site that was about these things and about the hipster PDA, you know, and about all these, these weird, seemingly unrelated things that the through line for all of those for me, though, was that, that it was a, these were ways to develop compensatory muscles, where, where they were needed. Um, and just by that analogy, I just mean that really something that's very core to the whole idea of GTD, which is uh, that, you know, we, we're smart and we know things and we know how to do our jobs and we know how to do the doing of our jobs, but we don't a lot of the time. And so for myself, the big pattern was that there are ways that I can spend less time on the things that are not a great use of my time and more time on the things that are if I develop those compensatory muscles, which in some cases were things like applications. I, you sh- Man, when I would show quick, people Quicksilver, it was like showing somebody a magic trick, the crazy stuff you could do, appending to files, all this stuff. I really used that. Um, and it saved me so much time and removed so much friction. Things like Dan, uh, Danny's life hack stuff back in the old days, it really, it was such an interesting idea of how to solve um, a thorny and persistent problem by a simple, if sometimes inelegant, solution. Hence the hack part of life hacks, which later, of course, got you know, kind of uh, diluted with dish liquid. But 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 long story. But um, but the 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 tentpole in many ways was getting things done because this was a system, a book, and a system that I discovered that resonated with me uh, more than any kind of self help book I'd ever seen. Because it really, well, well, we'll get into some more details of this, but just to the 43 folder stuff, I mean, I was obsessed with it because it, it, it made so much sense to me. And as we've said before, one problem with being a, regarding yourself as a smart person is you think there may not, there's a lot of stuff you don't need to know because you already know it, right? And I think the, the, the even worse problem for smart people is that because we think we're smart, and really who doesn't think they're smart? There aren't that many people walking around going, I don't know anything. Um, 
if we think we're smart, we don't always take the steps that we need to to externalize all that smartness into the world of doing, to get things out of our head. One of the myriad quotable things from Getting Things Done, uh, David says, is uh, if, you, if it's on your mind, it's not getting done. Otherwise, it would not be on your mind anymore. And this, this in which, wow, that seems really obvious. Well, another <laughs> second great quote from David, and he, he refers to getting things done as being what he calls advanced common sense, which I think is a terrific way to describe it. There's nothing in this book by itself that seems super ground shaking. You have to think about what you want to do and then do it. Okay. But we don't always do that. We don't have what he calls a trusted system for gathering all the stuff in our world and then deciding what to do about it and then doing it and then making sure that everything we've committed to doing is current and up to date and getting done. And so that's, that's why that really grabbed me and continues to grab me to this day and uh, why I want to share it with people. But um, so you got, you got, uh, it sounds like you got a pretty good way into rereading it this time. Did you get anything? And you said you started writing things down again. Did, yeah. did you, um, what, what grabbed you this time when you read it? You know, I think the first time it was, it was, I don't want to use the word novelty to describe it, but it was a very, it was very different. Like this wasn't anything that I'd, like like faddish not well that's why i didn't want to use the word novelty because it's not like it struck me as oh this is this neat technique that'll come and go as much as like i'd really never thought of this kind of approach for it like there was always the concept for me of like writing things down and making lists but then it's like i i was joking with you on one or two episodes ago saying like that you know it's funny because I'll, i'll write the stuff down but then how do you actually get through the list like i'll forget the list i won't go to it and and this is this is the whole thing that how easy it was for me to forget and get back into the old you know the old habits of just writing things down in a kind of a haphazard way and and interrupting tasks that I need to do with new stuff and trying to do that thing where you ba- you're always balancing something in your mind you say well I got to do these three things well, wait I, what if I do this wait what was that first thing again and and just seeing that that there's actually this system and the stages of the workflow and and you know, collecting all of this stuff together that it, it, it just struck me as that why I fell out of doing it because it requires a heck of a lot of discipline. And this is what always strikes me about, I'm just going to, let's talk about Merlin for a minute mm-hmm. is that to me, you seem like a person who is at once both very regimented and very disciplined and at the same time, very free thinking. So that's what struck me <laughs> reading it the second, starting reading it the second time. You didn't, you didn't simply just walk away with the fact that I'd stolen a lot of my shtick from David Allen. No, I look past that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that's why we are friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess so regimented. No, but uh, I mean, really like I, and, and this is the stuff that we've I, talked you know, about. I don't take that as an insult. It's a, it's a good observation. I mean, like things like, like we talk about a lot, like, you know, gosh, like our offline, a, our, our man calls, our offline stuff. Like when we talk about how you manage your time and the way that you decide to do things, we talked about this, I think in the last episode too, it's, I think it comes from this philosophy that you have, but that's, that's the hardest thing. And yeah. you don't just, this isn't like, you don't just do the, the getting things done thing at work. You do this for like your entire life for everything, for every aspect of it, I imagine. Well, um, that's what it seems well, like. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in terms of disclosure, I don't do getting things done like I used to. I don't, meaning I don't do it well. 
like everybody who's done, well, we should probably talk a little bit about what this thing is. But for those of you who are familiar with getting things done, um, there are things about it that are quite difficult. Um, and and uh, as we said last week, one of the things about getting things done that's great and perilous is that it really is a whole system for your whole life. Uh, right. Which, which sounds really daunting, but that's part of what the system is meant to address. If you don't think all of your life is important, then why bother? It isn't, I mean, to just think about how you plan your work um, and how you execute your work really sells you the rest of your life short because it acts like they're not connected. It acts like they, they operate in obscurity of one another. And that's the, that kind of conceit might have made sense 60 years ago. Um, you know what I mean? In other words, like I'm always using the, the example of my grandfather who, who worked for Cincinnati Gas and Electric for 50 years. 50 years, 40 years. He was there from the 30s to the 60s. And um, so 30 years, I guess. But he, anyway, he was with them for a super long time and had pretty much exactly the same job. And I mean, he passed away several years ago, so I couldn't talk to him about it right now. But my guess is he didn't bring work home with him. He shut off people's electricity all day and then he came home and smoked like a gentleman. <laughs> and and I think, I, I don't think that that, for any variety of reasons, even in the, gosh, however many years since getting things done came out, uh, I, I mean, so much is changing so quickly in how all, pretty much everybody does their work. There are very few people today that have a job title that even existed 30 years ago. There's, there's almost no one I know who has a job title that even existed as such. Like you're talking about like your friends. I am. Um, and you might say, oh, well, there's been computer programmers forever or there have been writers forever. But every aspect of how those people work even with that same job title, has changed hugely. It's changed hugely since, since 2001. It's changed hugely since I first got my first real job in 1991. Everything was as... Some of this is a rehash, so I apologize. But, you know, when I started work in 1991, it was, there was so much physicality. There was so much, like, getting... There was faxing, which was magic at the time. There was, you know, getting FedEx packages ready. There was using the postal meter to... You know, there's the copy machine. And all that stuff was a revolution over yeah. how jobs had been done, you know, 10 years before that. But then by the time you get to 2001, when this book came out, uh, and it does, it really does show its, age, show its age in some ways, I think. I mean, it's not, it doesn't make it less useful, but it, it, there are certain, certainly ways you will need to update getting things done and tweak it to how you work, which is probably always true. But then you go to 2001. And now remember, 2001, I don't even know if, uh, you know, whatever, 802, a or B existed then. I guess it did, but I didn't have Wi-Fi in 2001. <laughs> I had a, I had a modem yeah. in my, um, <laughs> what I have a Lombard or a, uh, what did I have a Wall Street? I had a Lombard, I think. Pismo. You, had, you, you, have a, you had a Pismo? That's well, one which was the one with the, the, the golden gold. keys? I think, yeah, the, not that one. Yeah. Anyway, I had one of those. Yeah, I, I, picked, I saw it in the garage a, a few months ago and picked it up. <laughs> Still boot up? <laughs> I don't think so. It's filthy. Yeah. And you could you could swap out a battery for the CD-ROM. Yeah, drive. it was great. It was great. It was, but I mean, for the time, it was amazing. revolutionary. My, even my only point being, yeah, we had the internet by two thousand one. I was working for a company that was trying to exploit the internet for money, and you know, but but we didn't have wireless. We certainly, I mean, I got my first quote unquote cell phone in nineteen ninety nine, and it had a calculator and a, and a pong like game on it. But apart from that, you know, even by the time that I got a Palm device, the only Palm I ever had with internet connectivity, I think was this Palm 7. 
which was approximately the size of a French bread pizza <laughs> and, and had a giant antenna and went bleep blorp. <laughs> but, you know, do you see, do you see the, the thing? I, I, all I'm trying to say is that the, the pace of change is accelerating. And to get into the book proper here, it, a lot of this can go back to, you know, Peter Drucker and his, <clears throat> excuse me, his uh, definition of knowledge work. The idea that, that there's this whole, in, in the 60s, this emerging class of worker who was not, you know, making stuff, like not necessarily making a physical artifact. The physical artifact of what you made might be secondary or tertiary to what you're doing, right? The, the five-page report that the consulting company gives you, if they were charging by the page, they wouldn't be making a lot of dough. They're charging for all the person hours that went into preparing that, right. which took knowledge, expertise, education, decision-making, right? The kinds of jobs that fewer people had in, in that sense, yeah, you know, there's been writers and, and poets and scientists forever who are <clears throat> doing knowledge work, but more and more of us today, this is so obvious now, this is something David Allen needed to say in 2001, that there has not been a system for keeping your stuff wired together that has kept up with how work has changed. And to your point about the, the home and work life, I appreciate you saying that, but I mean, for me, it's a really big deal. I mean, I didn't have, I got this office, uh, this filthy, filthy private office that oh. I have in like 2008. Um, and that was I've the last working, time it was cleaned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right before I moved in. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that Simpsons where, where Marge walks out of the kitchen <laughs> and it's clean and then the door swings back and it's already upside down. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, but I, was, I was working at home in what, you know, what it was essentially became my daughter's room. There's a lot of people who, who work from home. You work from home. You were in a closet at one point. Yeah, it was the worst. Okay, well, could our, did, did our grandparents... My, you know, I have a pretty blue collar background. Um, my, there's no, my, my, my father, uh, was a purchased, uh, you know, sporting goods for a department store chain. Mm -hmm. He had to go on lots of trips, had to go to the office and talk to people. My mom was a real estate agent. She certainly had to get in her car and, and drive people around. As I say, my grandfather worked for the, uh, uh, Cincinnati gas and electric. He drove around a truck shutting off electricity. My grandmother, was an executive assistant. She had to be in the office to do all that stuff uh, and, and so forth. What did your, uh, what did your, what kind of work did your grandparents do? My uh, maternal granddad worked for uh, the government doing, uh, he was a metallurgist. So he was designing like ballistics and anti-ballistics for like World War II stuff and was uh, doing all kinds of like cool, like long, long, long since declassified, but like he would do all kinds of really cool you know, like ant, you know, anti-shelling armor for tanks and like really cool stuff like that. My uh, grandmother there was a teacher, and then uh, on the other side, um, and, and your mom, your mom's a teacher as well, right? Yeah, college uh, teaches college, and then uh, on the other side, like my other granddad did all kinds of like cool, sort of weird blue collar stuff. Like he owned a hardware store for a while, and did all kinds of weird stuff, like a tobacco store for a while, and. Uh, all kinds of weird stuff. And I, I don't, like, I don't know what my other grandmother actually did. She may have just been but those a homemaker. Are all, those are all terrific examples. Like, did your grandfather get to do his metallurgy in the bedroom while <laughs> listen to Jack Denny? <laughs> yeah, he just, you know, had a room set aside. He had his, you know, beakers and he'd do, the, do the shelling right there in the house. <laughs> you know, they'd just, just clear out the house and he'd drop a small bomb. And, mm -hmm. just no, do some of course not. Bomb testing. No, I, and, I he, mean, traveled, and he, he, he traveled all over the world to do this stuff. And, 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 you know, obviously uh, never, never did it in the house. Being a teacher, hardware store person, all of those things require going somewhere and doing a job. Now, yeah. certainly the vast majority of people today have jobs where they have to go to a place and do a thing. 
Um, but but what's different today? Um, and the today of 2012, well, a few things are super different. Um, one is that regardless of what kind of work you do or where you do it, there's a pretty good chance that even over 10 years ago, there's much more access to you uh, through things like email, through things like your phone, through mm-hmm. things like texting, through things, whatever it is. There's all kinds of ways to get access to you that didn't exist back then. Oh man, that's a great, I mean, like back in the day, you might, there might've been a phone in the lab or the room that you were in. You couldn't, I mean, you couldn't, when you were at home, you couldn't sell a screwdriver from your house. Right. You would have to go somewhere and get the screwdriver and, and, and hand it to the person and accept their money. So that, so to me, that's, that is important. That's maybe secondarily important, but you know, this is where we get into the inbox zero stuff is there are so many ways people can reach you. I, I, there's a, there's probably lots of parties I don't get invited to because I'm not on Facebook. That's like an inbox that I don't, I canceled my account. So I, I can't see that that's there. Do you we, feel a serious question? Do you feel like you're missing out on something? Not because you're not getting invited to the parties, but because there's a, a community that many, many other people are involved in on an, on a daily basis that they're investing parts of their life in and then you canceled your account. Oh, like, do you feel left out? Is it something that bothers you? Real question. I'm not, I'm not just poking no, fun I'll, at Facebook. I'll be honest. I, I don't know if I'm missing out on anything, but um, I'm glad people enjoy the things they enjoy. But setting aside the fact that that's not really my kind of thing, I just, there are so many ways to get to me right now. We joked about this on Roderick on the Line where <clears throat> this, this you know, friend of John's like, called him up frantically and was like, why haven't you responded to this time sensitive thing yet? And it was a Facebook message. Like, uh, would you ever send something really important to somebody via Facebook? Maybe you would. But to me, that's, that's the kind of inbox. The, the, the point that we were making in that discussion was that we have inboxes we don't even know about today, right? It's, there are places like in Tumblr, people can send me messages. In Twitter, people can send, you know, DMs. Certainly anybody who can know or guess your email can send you, uh, your email address can send you email. I guess all I want to get at is that it's not difficult for people to get to you and it's not difficult for you to get to stuff. So <clears throat> I think it's much, probably much more common today. There were certainly days when I had my job in 1991, uh, which is a knowledge work job. I mean, I did, started out being an editor, um, like a line editor and then, you know, like a content kind of editor and eventually got more into graphics and doing courtroom exhibits, uh, which I couldn't do that at home. I didn't have the tools. I didn't, I didn't have the stuff. I didn't have the printers. I didn't have the $10,000 Tektronix color printer yeah, right. at home. Um, but so what would happen? Well, hey, you got to come in. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> need you to go ahead and come in on Saturday, which I did a lot, or I pop in on Saturday. <laughs> there would, but there was almost nothing that I could do at home. Yeah. I could take home a pile of depositions to summarize, right. but I didn't have a laptop. See, I remember, I remember the first time that I would, uh, that I was in a job. This wasn't that long after I'd graduated. It was in mid, mid nineties or late nineties where I was sitting. And I remember this, that like at work, I had like a 386 and at home I had a 486 and the difference between how quickly things work. And I think I was doing like, like courseware development or something. I was so much faster on that machine at home because that's that CPU jump made such a difference in like whatever the heck I was doing. And I remember saying to my boss, like, I've got a way better machine at home. No, no offense because like money was tight. Mm-hmm. I have a way better machine at home. Like, can, can I work from home a little bit? 
even an hour or two a day, I'll get much more done, you know? Uh, no, 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 no. It's all right. You know, just do it. And it was the kind, it was like the frustrating kind of thing, like when your Windows machine would crash and in order for it to boot back up into Windows, you had to wait while it, you know, while it ran whatever disk, I can't even remember what disk, the utility it was that you had to run before you could boot Windows again. Like that would happen multiple times a day. It didn't happen on my 46 at home as much. Hmm. And that could cost an hour a day while you're just sitting there walking around, like pulling your hair out. Well, so in, in that instance, um, you really could have done I could have, your work better but, at home. But then we're talking about the philosophy, the philosophy yeah. of if I can't see you, you're not working kind of thing. Because working from home back in 95 or 96 or whatever it, it, it was. masturbating and watching TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the concept and, of, of of not being in a physical location to do work that potentially you could have done. You couldn't have done it, but I, I was actually set up to do it. I could not, even though I was perfectly set up to do it there. And my I, I was absolutely not required at, for, through through periods of the day or even a, one day a week to be there. That that mentality then was what was holding me back to, from doing mm-hmm. it. Well, and I think it's I think it's And that still mentality something- is still around. Oh yeah. I, I was, yeah. People are absolutely still struggling with it today. Even the best managers, you know, uh, well, I mean, to manage something well, you have to understand what you're managing. And until you get really good at being a manager, it may be difficult to understand how much of your job is to get out of the way. Um, and so you take a step back as a manager and it means, well, how much, how much input do you, we're getting a little derailed here, but how much input do you have into hiring? Because ultimately a manager, if you're lucky is, is being a, a steward, coach, and defensive linebacker for somebody smart that they trust. You're, you're going to go in there and hopefully keep that person focused on what they need to do, help them resolve problems that they uh, can or won't do on their own. And you're going to help uh, run a certain kind of, I guess, like a radar scan that'll make sure that everything is up to date. But, but you know, so to get into some of the specifics of GTD, though, I mean... The, the, the basic point is that, if it's not obvious, is that the world has changed a lot and it's changing faster and faster and faster. Um, and that a lot of the old systems that when people decided to get productive and buy a day timer, buy a day runner, uh, you know, go to some seminar. Uh, and as I've said before, a lot of the kind of silver age productivity stuff was all about prioritizing. And the idea that um, people like, I guess, Stephen Covey, uh, got real good at, which was saying, hey, there are things that are important. There are things that are urgent. You have to make sure that you don't spend all of your time doing urgent things because sometimes this, the most important thing you can do is not urgent. And if you're, you're stuck in that, it's like Lily Tomlin says, the problem with uh, being a, in a rat race is even if you win, you're still a rat. You know, mm-hmm. and, 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 that's, and that's kind of what <laughs> happens. You get so wound up in what David Allen calls latest and loudest that you never take a step back. You always feel overwhelmed because that's the world. Or you maybe experience overwhelm because you're stuck in that world. Um, and if you're relying on a system that's priority-based, it does not take into account many other factors that have become part of work and life today. If we only prioritize them, and I'm not saying priority is unimportant. In, in David's system, that's one of four factors you use to decide what it is you're going to do next. But... Priority does, doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's actually the name of a post on 43 folders. You know, if there are things, no matter how important something is, no matter high, how high priority something is, if you don't have the tools that you need, you don't have the energy you need, you don't have the time that you need, well, then you're SOL. Like, what, what are you, you going to do? Well, if you're smart, you find something else that you can do, even if it's low priority, but something you can do. 
which is a real sea change in, in thinking that is very far off this idea of I have to be feeling constant stress about the stuff that I'm not doing. So yes, the world, the world has changed. And, and, and in terms of the whole like home and work thing, it seems really tightly wound for me to do stuff like, you know, my wife and I talking about the scheduling this week for like when our daughter gets picked up or dropped off, when there's a sitter, da, 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 all this stuff. The thing is for me, like if I, if I just try to half-ass that, if I don't put that on a calendar with a reminder, with all the information that I'll need when I need it, I will space it. Yeah. Because I've come to rely so heavily on that as a place that I trust that then I can go and do other stuff. I don't have to sit there and wonder what's going to happen. I don't have to worry about forgetting things. Anybody who's ever like had me miss lunch, uh, I feel like I'm always missing forgetting like to, like I'll get like a Gmail, uh, G, uh, Google Calendar invite from somebody, but not get a reminder on it. Mm. And oh. like, I'll, I'll space something like, and I feel so bad because that's a system that I trust. So I actually do regularly go through, make sure that all that stuff is up to date. But you can't rely on your calendar anymore as, as the only way to run your life because what happens? You put something on your calendar and then somebody two levels above your pay grade walks into your office and says, hey, here, do this thing. It doesn't matter if it's the stupidest thing in the world. Your calendar's, you know, not useful now. <laughs> All the stuff that you put on that calendar, it, suddenly everything has to change. So not only do knowledge workers have to do their work, they have to determine what that work is. That's the basic definition of a knowledge worker, I believe, according to Peter Drucker, is that you have to define what the work is and do it, which is very different from shutting off people's electricity. That work was defined a long time before my grandfather was ever hired. It was just go do, 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 right? And, and the truth is today, this, is, this becomes part of the complexity. Um, yes, now you've got this phone and, or you know, you've got this tablet that you can do all this stuff on. Uh, but so you can also receive text messages from your family on there. You could also uh, get, get lost uh, reading Wikipedia on there. Uh, you can get to the world and the world can get to you. You can homework, any of that stuff, it can all mingle together. And if you get an urgent email at work about something related to your family, well, do you just delete it because you're at work? <laughs> or do you just let it sit in your inbox and you assume you'll get it later? Yeah. Well, no, the truth is that even if you set aside all of these ways of contacting us, I mean, you're, you're kind of a doofus to not think about this as a whole life. You know, it's a, another thing David says, you know, everything in your life is important. And if it's not, it probably shouldn't be in your life. That's, that's real fancy. But like, if you're not doing that, I'll bet you're not a super happy person. And so th the thing is, so think about the interruption part, because I, I think this is a really critical uh, factor in GTD's success, is it basically assumes, uh, the, system allows, uh, the system assumes that you are getting interrupted a lot. The system assumes that there are going to be times that you have to go heads down on something whether you want to or not, but that there's still stuff that's going to come in that you're going to have to deal with. So you're accepting that there are these inputs. You, and whatever input you've got in your life, you've accepted it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be worrying about it. It's true. I mean, even if it's an input you don't want, like if you have accepted it, it's still yours to take care of. So you need a system that can keep up with that, with you being interrupted, with meetings being canceled, with flights being delayed. So, you know, wouldn't it be great to get to a place where even if things don't go the way you'd planned or hoped, you can very quickly recover and move on to the next thing that you could do right now? Again, even if it's not the highest priority. But, you know, if you're stuck in an airport and your phone is out of juice, the best thing to do might be to, like, sit and read your book. It might be to do, a, you know, a mind map of the stuff that's on your mind that you're stressing out about right now. But until you've accepted this new world, 
and and the changing nature of our jobs and access, it's difficult. It's difficult to it's difficult to walk around with everything in your head and just hope it'll work out. And so, getting things done. Um, no, that I like. I like what you just said. That you'll walk around with things in your head and hope everything works out because that is like what I've done most of my life. Yep, me too. Me too. Well, there's a phrase David Allen uses. It's it's a little creepy, but it's a great phrase. Open loops. That if there's yeah. anything right now that's not resolved, it will keep looping over right, and over right. in your head. And that, and that goes back to our whole OCD. And see, I think both of us are, <laughs> at least for myself, I'm assuming mm-hmm. for you, that like we're especially vulnerable for that kind of thing. And that's why when you read like the description of what uh, getting things done will help you do, they always talk about like eliminate anxiety. And you're like, I don't feel anxiety. Oh, I got to remember to do that thing. Right. And that other thing. And that other thing. Right, exactly. And and there's any variety of reasons why that happens. Well, first of all, you're busy, right? Like everybody's busy. Well, yeah, you're busy, but like wouldn't you be less busy if you were either <laughs> accepting less stuff to do or doing more of the stuff that you've accepted? Because that's really the problem. You've either got to get more accomplished in the time that you have or you've got to accept less stuff that you're expected to do. I don't I don't I can't think of I'm not a mathematician, but I can't think of another way to deal with that whining about how much you have to do is not getting you closer to getting anything done. It's just making you stressed out. And so is, uh, can we, uh, did you want to do a, uh, tell me about something you like? Yes. Now would probably be the appropriate time. I'll take a breath. Do it. Mm. <laughs> Let me tell you about Ting. Ting. Oh, <laughs> right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Did we, I, I, pre- I prepare for the show, Dan. Okay. Good, well, I appreciate that. Okay, is that the one that's again. the, is that the, the jug that's the Mason jar filled with, Liquid Human urine? Or, yeah. No, no, no. It's a, it's a Zycar. Okay. Zycar tri- triple filter. Do it again. Okay. Ting. <laughs> Ting. Ting is mobile that makes sense. An OBS mobile service. What they are is they're a reseller of uh, of the Sprint network. But why not just go with Sprint? I'll tell you why. Because Ting is different. They they are a completely contract free network. There's no early termination fees. There's no anything else. And they give you the choice to create the kind of plan that you want, whatever kind of service level you want. You can pick the number of voice minutes that you have. You pick the text messages that you have, the megabytes of data that you have. They're all billed separately. They don't penalize you for overage charges. If you use more than you thought you would, you just pay for what you used. If you use less, guess what? They drop you down to the, the, the lower level. That's the ting advantage. That is the ting advantage. And they, and they credit you for the difference. Okay, so they've got all the regular stuff. If you see, I use the phone as a phone a lot. So this kind of thing matters to me. Voicemail, caller ID, tethering, hotspot, through a calling, forwarding, all of that stuff, it's all built in. It's all free. And when you get your bill, you never see any weird mystery line items. They just charge you for what you use and they're legally required to charge you some taxes and that's all that they charge you. There's no hidden fees, there's no recovery fees, and none of the garbage. And uh, what's also really cool about this, especially if you have like a family or a business, you can pool all of your minutes, the messages, megabytes is all pooled and it only costs $6 a month to add a device to that. And they've got everything like usage billing, all of that in their online uh, panel, control panels. So you don't hardly ever have to talk to them. If you do have to talk to them, call between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern time and a real human being answers the phone and helps you. And uh, they have tons of tutorials and stuff online you can check out where you go to help ting.com to learn about that but they made a special url just for us you go to five by five dot ting.com 
You'll learn more there and you will receive 50 bucks off your first Ting device. That's the log. Hmm. 5x5.ting.com. Check them out. Support the show. That's all they got to do. That's all they got to do, Merlin. All they got to do. Say the name again. 5x5.ting.com. <laughs> Our thanks to Ting for supporting 5x5 <laughs> and back to work. 5x5.ting.com. The hard part, I think. I just wrote that on an index card because you know why? I need to do show notes later, and I wouldn't remember that. That's right. So isn't that, that silly? Me, isn't that a silly thing to do? Wouldn't it seem like it would be very, very easy for me to remember that? But you know what? I might just, type just one word, ting. Well, I might, I might type ting.com slash five by five. I'm, you know what I mean? I mm-hmm. might say, oh, maybe five by five is the code, and I just need to link to ting.com, and then I might, I might start procrastinating about finishing show notes because I can't remember and I don't feel like looking, and now I'm hungry, and why am I alive? Right. That's, this is the thing. Like the fact that I just took the stupid pencil, hit a can, and then used the pencil to write on that piece of paper will seem like the most backward monkey thing in the world to do, but it will, it will completely change how you do stuff. Like it, it's, it's, a, it's a running joke that I'm the, like the index card guy or whatever, but that, what I just did right there is a big step in a, in a different direction. It's the first big step, right? So that's, that's, that is what is called capture, <laughs> writing things down. Um, uh, another really important thing though, is that at some point, uh, I got to do something about that. It's easy enough to write things down. And this is where traditional to-do lists tend to fall short is that people are, are great at making lists and generally pretty terrible about doing anything about them. And, um, and I think getting things done is great at addressing that by saying, well, first of all, yeah, I mean, you need to start writing things down or putting things somewhere that you trust and somewhere where that you will periodically check for new information. I mean, I've heard you talk about having several field notes, notebooks for different things. I, I could see that working. Like for myself, I, I really try to minimize the number of places where a thing could end up. What, what do you and mean so, where a thing could end up? Well, I, I, I hear about people who do things like, well, I've got a Moleskine notebook and I like to make mind maps and I have an Evernote account right. and I have a this and I have a that. And like too many choices I, then, right? Maybe, yeah, well, first of all, I would agree, yes, too many choices because I don't want to have to think about where something goes. But to me, more saliently, I, I, I don't want to have to check all those buckets on a regular basis. Mm. That's what's so crazy making about the idea that there might be hidden messages to me, uh, websites all around the world that I don't even know exist. Because I'm not going to go like sort through all my like, somebody started following you on, you know, dogbot. .net. It's like, what is dogbot.net? When did I sign up for it? And how is anyone even aware that I'm there? Somebody, some, somebody commented your like on, you know, th- that is completely overwhelming to me. Yeah. Um, and so, and so anyway, let me, let me get to one, one big point here. Um, oh, you know what? We should mention this cheat sheet cause it's pretty good. This is in show notes, but, uh, I tutor, actually, if you go to, go to my, uh, tutor, maybe you could retweet the tutor of that, uh, Matt, Matt Vance, is that right? Matt Vance is getting things done. Summary. All right, hold on. When did you probably, tweet this? Probably out? not the kind of thing David Allen's people love, but um, I, I had this on oh, my... Oh, the, the summary tweet sheet thing. Yeah, I'll retweet that. Tweet sheet? That's tweet, good. The tweet sheet. Tweet sheet tweet. Uh, but anyway, it's that... Uh, hang on, I'm going to move Jean Grey. Oh, oh we got to talk her. about that Spider-Man. That's tape on her butt. Totally got to talk about Spider-Man. Uh, it's at, uh, it's too long to say, hot but if you, dog, wait, hot 
God. It's not, if you search, you can try searching for mine. It's in show notes for the episode. But okay. also, if you go to Mind Zone, M I N E Zone Wiki, search for that and getting things done, you'll probably find it. I just read anyway. It. It's a great. It's a great. Uh, it's a terrific summary because there are a lot of things in getting things done that are very codified. Like there are these five stages of, you know, these five stages of the workflow. There are these four kinds of, what is it called? The natural planning model. What's the phrase he uses for that? Like, for example, there are the models for making action choices. There are the six level models for reviewing your work, five steps to accomplish any task, task and, and so on. Five phases of natural planning. Like some of that is, is very easy to summarize. It's not going to be anywhere near the same thing as reading the book. Let me assure you, because you kind of know all this stuff. And when you read a list like current actions, current projects, areas of responsibility, your, your brain, and my, at least my brain, numbs out to all the business speak of that. But what you don't get from that is the emotional resonance of why your current lack of a system is, is, is um, treating you so poorly, like why that's not working out. And so it really does help to work your way through the whole system. And in some ways, I think this, so if I had to summarize it, I'll, I'll cop some of this for straight out of the book, but like, the simplest way to understand getting things done um, and, and what the power of it is comes down to these two simple things. And he calls this, you know, these, uh, the two ways to decide what to do in general, right? What is the thing that you're trying to accomplish? Number one. And then number two, what's the next action step that you need to take to get there? Which seems so simple. But I'll bet you, if you hear that and you're thinking about that right now, your brain flashes for a minute <laughs> on the thing you're trying to accomplish, which is there's this thing that's overdue that you're stressed out about, or there's something, it might be 10 things flew through your mind, but you go, oh yeah, well, I know everything I need to accomplish. You go, okay, well then what's the next action step to get there? <laughs> well, I go to do it, right? That's the thing is now in the time, in the 30 seconds, since I first mentioned those two points, did you do anything to write that down and put it somewhere? Did you either decide what the outcome of one of those ideas was and then decide what the next action step was? Because I'll bet you didn't. And that's why you need this. And again, it's because you think you're smart. You think you can keep all that stuff in your head. You think you can have a functional whiteboard and alarm clock and still be able to have a creative mind. And I think that's a very difficult and uh, a difficult thing to do and really kind of a pointless uh, exercise. So what's the thing you're trying to accomplish? Well, in the idea in getting things done, there's the idea of a project. I'm skipping over some parts here because I'm assuming that people have read the book or have read some of the summary stuff. I want to get to the to the high points. Yeah. You know, there's a few concepts that are very important. Um, there's the idea of what is a project. Well, normally a project, and when I was a project manager or when I was involved in projects, it was like building a bridge. There was this giant, giant, giant thing that had to happen, and there were Gantt charts and all these steps and all, and there's budgets and all this stuff. Well, in getting things done, a project, this is in my words, not, not David's, but a project is any positive outcome where you know when it's done, right? right. <laughs> Any positive outcome that you can articulate that has more than two steps required to get it done. And you know, the neat part is, is those steps have to be physical steps. This is so powerful. So what is a project? Um, you know, for a lot of people who are in the to-do list, the traditional to-do list mode, uh, your idea of an of a, of a action, right? A task, a to-do might be something like get oil changed which seems so simple. What, well, okay, well, what needs to happen in order to get the oil changed? Well, just go and get the oil changed. Well, then why haven't you gotten the oil changed yet? Oh, uh, I think we have a coupon for that. Okay. Well, then why hasn't your oil changed? Oh, I need to get the coupon. Okay, where's the coupon? 
I don't know. Can you find out where the coupon is? Yeah. How, how would you do that? Um, I guess I'd call my wife. So you need to get the oil changed, but you before you can get the oil changed, you need to find, according to you, you need to find the coupon, and you can't find the coupon until you, until you call your wife. Do you have your wife's phone number? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> seems like you're good to go with a task called call wife to find location of oil change coupon. Well, I don't need a system like that. I'm smart. Well, <laughs> why'd your engine seize up, smartass? That's what this comes down to. Is there a physical action that will get you closer to that positive outcome? And it doesn't matter whether that positive outcome is, is you know, retiring on an island or not having your engine seize up. Anything, and, and this is the mind-blowing part, is that any, almost anything you need to do, this is so weird, but so, so uh, energizing, is to realize that almost everything you have to do is not a single task. There are very rarely, very, there's a very small number of non-maintenance things in your life, including some maintenance things for sure, that are actually one task, if you're really honest. And the reason that thing isn't done yet, the reason it is, as David says, an open loop in your head, mm. is you have not really thought through what done looks like. You know, well, setting aside, you haven't figured out whether it's a valuable outcome or whether you're really going to do it. But, you know, you haven't really, you haven't established how you will know when this thing is finished. The, the getting oil change project will be done when my oil has been changed. And then what are the steps that are, that are necessary to get there? And so on the one hand, we tend to think of a project as this giant, giant, giant thing with groups of people. And you certainly can't think of it that way. But the way that you can have a very, very large number of things in motion in your life is to understand what is the outcome that I want out of anything that I accept as a commitment either from other people or to myself? And then what are the physical actions I need to accomplish to get there? And here's the beauty part. You don't have to know every single, you don't have to write down a flowchart of every single action. You really, at the heart of it, you just need to know the next physical action, what he calls the next action for every project. Okay, and this is where this gets powerful because um, let's find some non-trivial examples. Um, let's, say, let's say you have something on your list like, Gosh, after uh, Hurricane Sandy, or Hurricane, right? Sandy, Superstorm? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that it's when a storm and a Superstorm is, but after Sandy, a lot of people out there, like Marco's posting about, you know, chargers, mm -hmm. crank chargers for phones. People are understandably very anxious. So you might have something on your list called hurricane preparation. Um, and I'll bet there's a pretty good chance that that's going to be, if you even have the presence of mind to have a list that you look at, I bet your hurricane preparation is going to be on there next week and next month and five hurricanes from now, it'll still be on there. Why? Because hurricane preparation is not a project. Hurricane pre pre preparation is a giant number of projects that mm. need to be broken down. Let's come up with one like fairly simple example. Um, make sure all my flashlights work. Oh, God, so stupid. Wasn't that part of it? Do you know if all your flashlights work right now? I don't know. I was all part of my hurricane preparedness project. <laughs> like hurricane preparedness, it means, it means checking your insurance. It means having a hurricane kit. It means making sure that your, oh, did you know hurricane kits have to be updated? Did you know water expires? I learned that. I, we had, a, we had a, a hurricane kit that was really great when we first made it and we went down and you know like how you should always check your backups, like actually try and do a backup occasionally right, to right. make sure your backups work. Like we went and looked at our hurricane kit and it looked like, it looked like something from a dump. Like it was like a moldy sleeping bag and some water and some expired Z-bars. Mm. Well, that's, that's, there's a lot of moving parts just to the stupid hurricane kit. I, all I'm trying to get at is one reason that stuff is not getting accomplished is that you have something that 
that's a potentially good idea floating around, but it's a very, very, very large noun. And a very, very, very large noun will not become something super useful until you break it down into a series of smaller nouns. And then the really important part is breaking those smaller nouns into some extremely small verbs. And the smart part of your brain is avoiding that because you're smart, but that's what it comes down to. Hurricane preparation. It has a sub project, if you like, called check flashlights. Well, what do I have to do to check my flashlights? Do I have flashlights? Yes, I have flashlights. Do I know where the flashlights are? Oh, you know, uh, I know where one flashlight is and I think I saw another one when we were cleaning. Okay, so you need to find your flashlights. Yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> right? Sounds so stupid. But this happens all the time. That example of like, I can't do this thing. Like you'd really discover I can't do this thing until I get other information. But then I may need other information to get that information. So, so many things on my list start with a Google search, right? Because there's some piece of information I need to get. I don't, I don't know if I'm making the case for this, but, but if you're feeling overwhelmed by stuff um, on a tactical level, it's probably because you don't know everything that you are thinking that you have to do. Mm. You, haven't, you haven't made a full accounting of all the things that are on your mind. And it's very difficult to do anything effectively if you don't know what it is you're trying to do and how it stands in context with the other things that you also have to do. And you need to look no further than your calendar for an example of this, where you know if you're not paying attention to your calendar, if you're not looking at your calendar when you add events to it, you're, you'll see that you're double, triple, quadruple booked. If you don't look up at the top of the page and see whether there's a, a day or week-long event on that same day, mm-hmm. if you're in training for three days somewhere, well, you can very merrily add five things to that list but it won't matter. You're going to have to cancel all of those once you realize that, that you put in a note a year ago that you're actually in a, in a training seminar that day. But you know what? That's a problem. That, that is a high-level problem compared to most people because they're not even writing it down. They're not even putting it all in place. They're certainly not reviewing it. And, 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 that's, and that's... I think that makes you go numb to your calendar. It makes you go numb to your life because there's stuff you think you're not even allowed to think about because there's other stuff you're supposed to be thinking about, letting, let alone what you're doing. And so I, I find this a very muscular model. There are things in our life called projects, anything that requires more than two action steps. And then there are the next actions that are required to get those things um, either in motion or keep them continued in motion. Now, why physical? This is a big, big deal. Um, let's say you're, you're, you're pretty good at this. You're like a green belt at, at the world <laughs> of uh, productivity and, and you have stuff on your list like... Um, uh, ID8 user experience overwhelm or whatever. Let's say you put something on your list that's along the line of brainstorm project ideas. Hmm, okay. Maybe you have things on your list like, uh, God, one of my favorites, um, implement project strategy. That sounds like a, that's a verb in there somewhere, right? There, there, there are myriad things like this. Change flashlight batteries is a terrific example, but it's also a little bit of a red herring. Because you can't change the flashlight batteries until you find the flashlight and have bought the new batteries. Mm. You ever buy the wrong batteries for something? I'm Merlin and I'm stupid, so I'm just sharing this with you. I sometimes forget that in this new age of everything being triple A's, like I'll buy double A's for something. Uh, I thought it was going to be D's, but it was actually C's. Whatever. The point is, that's what's keeping you procrastinating. That's what's keeping you from doing all this stuff is you can't fool your brain into thinking you're ready yet. Your brain knows, as David Allen likes to say, your mind doesn't have a mind. That's why it needs you. There has to be somebody, this overarching project czar for your life, who's willing to go in and say, let's be stupid for a while. Let's do our thinking at the right time. Let's start by 
writing down every single thing that we could possibly be doing or thinking about right now. I believe he calls this a mental suite. This is one of the very first things. But before we can ever get to this task and project level, let's first look at everything that we've got. I will note here that this is also where GTD starts, you start realizing how immersive this has to be to work. Mm -hmm. You can't write down the top three things you want to do and then forget about it. Because the rest of your brain is going to be churning on all that stuff you know you should be doing. It's also going to be churning on the next concentric circle, which is the stuff you um, probably should be doing but aren't doing. And it's never going to really give you access to that super interesting big circle of like all the stuff you could, might want to do. All those dreams you have and all of your, all the little things that are stuck in your dream catcher that you don't have time to do because you're so busy with all of your stuff. You'll never get to that because you're so busy sitting around feeling freaked out about how busy you are, but then not doing anything about that busyness, neither becoming less busy nor becoming more effective at finishing the things that have made you so nominally busy. So a mental sweep is this way of sitting down and basically, and again, you, you, you get this if you've read the book. Did you read that part? You saw the part about the mental sweep. Yeah, mental sweep. Did you, uh, did you try it? I have not had the opportunity to try any of this stuff yet. That's okay. But Except I mean, the writing it down. The writing it down. That's good. That's a start. With um, something. something. Any, anything's better than nothing. Um, I guess. Except when it's not. But, <laughs> but, uh, Mercilessly some... iterate and refactor. See, I'm looking. Did, we, did you put this in your show notes? The getting started with getting things done? No? Yeah, I did. I did. Do you want to All quote right. it? Why don't you quote it? I'll have some water. Which, which part do you want me to quote? The whole thing? Can I read the whole I thing? Read it. I'll, just say, I'll just read the rest of it. You take a break. I'll start reading it. Thanks. All right. Hang on. You wanted to provide, here's what you said. I wanted to provide a gentle, geek-centric introduction to getting things done so that you can think about whether it might be right for you. It also gives you time to pick up your own copy of the book, which people have already done here. And here's what you write about the problem with stuff. The getting things done succeeds because it first addresses a critical barrier to completing the atomic tasks that we want to accomplish in a given day. And you, you go on to define stuff, anything you've allowed into your psychological or physical world that doesn't belong where it is, but for which you haven't yet determined the desired outcome in the next action step. So we talked about the stuff. He talks about how it really works. And he, here's what you say. This is a really summarized version, but here it is PowerPoint style, right? Can I continue? Please. Identify all the stuff in your life that isn't in the right place. And that's where you would say, close all the open loops. Get rid of the stuff that isn't yours or you don't need right now. Number two. Number three, create a right place that you trust and that supports your working style and values. Number four, put your stuff in the right place consistently. Number five, do your stuff in a way that honors your time, your energy, and the context of any given moment. And six, iterate and refactor mercilessly. I love that word, mercilessly. <laughs> that's pretty good. It's really good. Somebody should start a site about that stuff. I know. It's a good, that's a good idea. Um, and then, they, you, then you, you tell how it applies to geeks, which is probably most of our listeners. Yeah. That's a longer list. Yeah. Um, but geek, the, so, one of the things that really stuck out for me is that, there, well, there, wait, there's two in here that I really liked. One of them is geeks like frameworks, but tend to ignore the rules. Right. And then geeks like fixing things on their own terms. And that's the thing is anytime you talk about a system, mm -hmm. like a geek's natural response, well, I don't, that's not going to work for me. Why? Well, because I know systems work except the ones I invent for myself. Uh, so I always build my own bug tracker. <laughs> right. Step zero. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I do think that is correct. It sounds like he's gained weight. <laughs> he's on a course of pregnancy. <laughs> oh, God. He's a... <laughs> But this the, um, is the thing. This is what this yeah. is. This is the thing 
that's important is that this is a different kind of framework for people that now, okay, so here's a, here's a question for you. What if I'm reading something and I say to myself, well, that, that sounds difficult. I don't think I can do that. I don't think I want to do that. In the book? Yeah. Oh, I mean, you don't have to do anything. Can you pick? You can, can you really pick and choose the different pieces of this? I, I would. I would suggest not doing that. Yeah. Um, when you, if you were going to advise someone on paleo, yeah, would you encourage them? This is a trick question, so please answer it appropriately. Would you encourage them to uh, give themselves a cheat food every few hours? No, because you're not changing the habit yet. Right. And you to change the habit, embrace it. You have to throw yourself into it completely and act like there's no other choice. That's how you make something work. Uh, especially if your problem is the lack of commitment that makes you kind of graze your career mm. in, in such a limp-wristed way, mm. to mix a metaphor about nothing. You know, I mean, part, part of the problem is that... Uh, we should, we should, I want to get into more specifics of the book because I want to make sure we don't leave. I, here's the thing. I, I, everything that I do on this show and in this other junk that's not just talking about, uh, you know, weenies and poo, is, is that, is that I, we all know stuff. We all know stuff about things. And we're all really smart. But there's a huge disconnect between the part of our brain that understands stuff and this, and this poor little sick, sad, underused part of our brain that just does and does and does stuff. And we think, and we think, and we think. And getting things done is great, I believe, at helping you direct your thinking at the right things at the right times. This is really, really critical. Because if you're not doing the stuff, if you're not accomplishing the things that you want, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling like there's no way you'll ever pull out of all the stuff that you've got, well, it helps to ask yourself a number of questions, which is, first of all, do you know all the stuff you've got to do? Do you understand what the getting done part of that doing looks like? And then at what point do you get honest enough to look at that giant list of stuff, which you probably still haven't made, and then decide how much that you can do well or, or want to do? Because there's, there's a real uh, mentality of victimhood in a lot of modern life. This idea that everything gets visited upon us, right? And the, the, the basis of the whole jokey, that's fine for Merlin thing, yeah. is this idea, is there that like some people who got a magic wand and like, and you're just this poor sucker who works hard. Well, I'm not saying you should go buy a hammock. I'm just saying that you're not going to be happy about what you do until you understand what you're doing and then you're actually doing it. And then if you want to do something different, why don't you give yourself the permission to be enough of a happy adult that you could try different things? Well, you can't do that if all you're doing is not doing the stuff that's always floating around. You know that, right? Well, this is why the philosoph... I have to make you feel bad about this before you understand how important it is. If I just hand you a card with a bunch of steps on it, it's just going to be another thing you didn't do anything about. Mm. I have to make you feel the pain of this before you understand what it means to not feel that pain. I have to make little jokes about this. I have to make you understand that all the obviousness, the obviousness of all of these things is not a boon companion. It's not helping you do any of this. You've got to get this stuff out of your head and into some place that you trust, and then you got to do it. And then you got to do less of the stuff that you're not going to do because that takes the exact same amount of energy to think about as stuff that you're... <laughs> the, the not doing stuff that you're not doing and the not doing stuff that you're quote-unquote doing all takes the same amount of time. It all takes the same amount of like burning cycles. You know, We can make ourselves anxious at will. So it just becomes a question of like saying, are, are you willing to like pony up and, and, and dive into something that might be able to improve the way that you do that stuff. So that's why I would say, I would say to give this a crack 
we'll talk more about this next week and maybe a week after that because mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot here. But but let, let's plow through just a few more of these high-level things. To answer your question, no, I would not skip steps. I would try and do this. As we'll discuss next week or the week after, there are some risky things about getting things, not risky, but there, there are things that are very challenging, especially after the first couple weeks. You could do anything for a week or two, right? I mean, any system. And if you spend the amount of time that's necessary to really dive into this, you will have a sunk cost feeling that will, will make you want to stay with it for a while. But you will certainly be tempted to, as you would with a cheat food, just kind of do it kind of partially or take a day off from it. But, you know, the, the, the ending that I want to spoil for you is that once you get past all the productivity porn and once you get past all the mind maps and deciding what app to use, what you're really doing is adopting a philosophical approach that's much more important than any of these particular tips and tricks, which is that the stuff that you do either is or should be very valuable to you. And you're going to make decisions about what physical actions to take in your life based on how it all fits together. And there's just so many reasons that that's hard to do. So let's go through some of the, some of the, these general things okay. just to give people the idea. So yeah, big principle. What's the next thing you're trying to accomplish and what's the next action step here? I don't want to go too much into the, this is probably going to be a little frustrating for some people. I don't want to go on a super deep dive through, through the workflow stuff. There are five phases, uh, five stages of um, workflow in, 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 in David Allen's world and getting things done. And just, just quickly, the five steps are to collect things, process things, organize, review, and do. And there's, new, there's lots of stuff out there. Uh, there's something in last week's show notes we'll also put in this week's, which is a great diagram. Um, this, is, this is in the book and you really need, I can't like, just tell you how to do the workflow stuff. You need to read it and you need to really understand it. But the, the short version is uh, the, uh, the collection. You know, uh, you may be good at this already. You may be writing things on bits of paper. You may be typing things into a text file. Um, you may be writing, you may be speaking into the voice recorder app on iOS. That is all important. That is collecting. But first of all, are you collecting everything? Right? Do you have effectively an inbox for whatever is unresolved right now? And that's going to need to be a very big box as, as you'll learn in this. If you really, really go through everything that's on your mind right now, it's going to totally freak you out. So collection is more complex than it sounds. Collection is more than writing something on a card. In my case, it means writing something on a card and then doing something about it. But I may not be able to do anything about it right now. So where does it go? Who's in this pile with the other cards? Like if you put that thing into your voice memos thing in iOS, okay, well, at what point will you very definitely make a decision about what to do about that in the next one to five days? Maybe never. So now what do you got? You got a bunch of recorded voice messages with dates on them and you don't know what they are and you don't have time to listen to them. So the collection stuff is not super useful without the second stage, which is processing. So you can collect all the time anywhere. And, and once you get great at it, you really can collect anywhere. But another huge part of that becomes tossing that into the inbox. And he suggests, I have these big like uh, galvanized, is it galvanized tin? Like these giant boxes. When I'm doing a serious getting things done reboot, I have a giant box that I throw everything into. Nice. And you could throw broken equipment in there. <laughs> you know, you could throw uh, a book that you want to read in there. You could throw your entire goddamn calendar in there because you probably need to redo that too. Anything that will not fit in that box, you write it on a card and throw it in there. But the, a couple of points to get out of this. I know it sounds simple to just write things down. The writing things down is not useful unless that will lead to a decision being made about that. A great decision is not to do something. It's a terrific decision. But if all you did was write on the card, now it's just another source of incompletion in your life. If you have cards everywhere, if you have voice memos everywhere, if you have three different calendar systems that may or may not be up to date, 
That stuff's not current, and you stop trusting the system. You stop trusting that your collection will yield anything, right? So this is why I started the whole hipster PDA thing, where I was carrying around <laughs> a pile of index cards with a binder clip, because yeah. it really was huge for me. I used to walk around going, oh, I've got this million-dollar idea, and I forgot to write it down. I'll lose <laughs> it forever. Or uh, I wasn't able to like write on a card and hand it to somebody and say, please go listen to this Led Zeppelin record. Once I started doing that, two, it's a huge part of collection for me to have like a, a notebook or similar with me. Two giant things happen. Well, first of all, I, my brain got permission to have ideas. Like I learned that there was a place where stuff goes which is in that little uh, index card pile. For me, it's all really like in index card slash notebooks. It's like something in my back pocket um, or it's a text file. To the extent possible, I really put stuff in the textbook files. So if it's an action that I know I'm going to do right now that I have to capture right now, I put it right into OmniFocus, which is the task app that I use, whatever works for you. But, but two, two huge changes. Well, first of all, yes, I, I now have that, less of that sense of anxiety that I was going like, to lose stuff. And, and second, like knowing that there was a one place where it goes made it stick. And this is why I say, I'm not sure you want to have five notebooks because unless you've made a deal with yourself to very regularly check all five of those notebooks for stuff you might need to do, it's going to eat, eat up your brain. And again, the system falls apart. And that's just, we're just in the first part. This is just collection. But making lists is not useful unless you make a decision, a subsequent decision about what to do about those things, if anything. And then that actually gets done. Um, so then the processing processing is really, it's way too much to get into right here. But the note, basic notion of processing is like, what is this thing? Do I have to do anything about it? If yes, if no, and there's a little workflow for this. It's very simple once you start getting it, but really it's just a matter of saying like, is this reference material? Is this something I need to make a decision about? But at every single step of the way in the process, you're asking yourself, what is the physical action that I have to do here? And so what's your, your inclination is going to be, well, I'm going to throw this back in the inbox because I don't really know what to do about it right now. Don't do that. <laughs> do not do that when you're processing. If you're not going to do it, you could put it on what he calls a someday maybe list or I think you should just throw it away because if it's a good idea, it'll, you'll either do it or it'll come up again. But in any case, the processing is huge because it means you take all that stuff in your trusted system and you kind of plow through it and put it where it needs to be. And this is where you make that decision. This is the perfect place to think. Thinking is great in the process stage. Thinking in the collection phase, eh, if it works for you, that's fine. If you write down enough information to remember what your idea was, you can think about it later. If you trust your brain to remember what your great idea was, it's going to have to find some place on the bench alongside all those other ideas you haven't done anything about. But that's what's nice, is you don't have to think. You can just whip something over your shoulder into that big inbox, and you know that you're going to deal with it when you process. And you'll process on a regular basis. I mean, most, I think, a good idea is to try and do it once a day, try to get all the way through. If you don't have time to process, once you've gotten this system set up, if you don't have time to process every day, well, then that's a great sign that you have too much stuff going on. If you don't have time to think about what it is that you're doing, you're probably doing too much. Um, and then organizing. So deciding where that stuff goes. Does it go on a calendar? Does it go on a task list? You know, but that processing, that's key because that is the point at which the, the one time for that event that you decide what the actionable item is here, an actionable, it's a legal term, what the, what the physical <laughs> action associated with this should be. And then the organizing part, it's a real thistle for some people, but this is where everything goes where it needs to go. A lot of stuff that feels, you get a big pile of mail, you get a big pile of whatever, a surprising amount of that stuff is actually what you might call reference materials. And so that goes to wherever that is. Like I have these files and text files uh, with the... Uh, how many prefix. text files do you have now? 
do do do. I don't even want to say. Say it. Probably, that's probably pretty bad. Let me look. I'm clicking. I'm clicking. <laughs> I go to here and I'm nope. Click the wrong thing. Oh. 1303. 13,000. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, wait a minute, iTunes, don't start. Um, so let's pop <laughs> through the rest of this and get to the interesting stuff. Right. You, you need to do this workflow on your own. Organizing, you can tell me about something you like in a second. Uh, organizing is where you decide where that stuff should go, having made a decision about it. Oh, this is a big one. Uh, I'm stealing from this uh, cheat sheet. But when you're processing and the answer you know, is, what do I need to do about this? If the answer is yes, his basic... Uh, shorthand for this, you either do it, you delegate it, or you defer it. If you do it, if it takes less than two minutes, do it right now. Delegate it, well, then you got to give it to somebody else to do. And I would say, add a little reminder to yourself somewhere that you trust that, that to make sure that's getting done if it matters to you, or defer it, which is that you decide that you're going to make a decision about it later. And that goes into your tickler file, the, the titular 43 folders, or it goes into somewhere where you want to review it at some other time. I think if you're doing a lot of that deferring, you're probably better off to delete it a lot of the time, personally. Like, do you want to have that many deferred things? Because it becomes a real cheat. It becomes other. Like, you know, imagine a genre in your life called other. Well, that's such a cop-out. Like, very few things should be other. It should either be in this bucket where you're doing it or in the trash where you're not. That's just my own take on it. Um, Fourth step in the workflow is reviewing. And this is the hardest part of GTD. It is so critical, though, which is that if you've collected stuff, you've processed stuff, you have organized stuff, if there's anything that isn't done yet of that, you need to go through on a weekly basis and review all of the projects that you're working on to make sure that they're still alive. Does every project still have a next physical action? Maybe more importantly, is this project still happening? Right? If, if this isn't something I need to think about right now, then why is it here? That's a really great Christmas gift to give yourself is realizing that if it's not something you need to think about, it goes off your list. And there's a variety of ways that you can deal with that. But it's a way of staying current. What gives you the freedom to throw something over your shoulder and have it land in a box? What gives you that freedom is trusting yourself that you know you're smart, so you've put this stuff in an external system, and you know you won't miss it. It's in this one place that you're going to check. It's in this pile that you're going to go through. And that's what keeps the system working, is that those reviews ensure that nothing falls through the cracks. One of the things I put in show notes for this week is a list of ticklers for doing your weekly review which is a great list of all the things that you probably didn't realize you're thinking about or should be thinking about. Like when you, when you think about what you're doing, like every Sunday I do this, um, do you think about what you're doing next week? Like, do you ever look at your calendar for next week and think about, is there anything I need to do based on what's on my calendar? People love putting stuff on their calendar, right? People love, love going to these meetings, but they never do anything about the meetings. <laughs> People love putting stuff on their calendar, but is there anything you need to prepare? Oh my gosh, like I just realized that I have to read this book for the show next week, uh, for example. That's one example. Well, then that becomes an action this week. That might seem seem obvious, but you've probably never met anybody who wasn't prepared for a meeting, right? Well, that's a person (laughs) who didn't look forward to what was coming up in the next week. But you know what's crazy? You know what's arguably even more useful than looking at next week's calendar is looking at last week's calendar. Because you're going to see so many things that you forgot you needed to do something about and it's not a matter of just trying to create work for yourself. It's not busy work. It's a way of going, oh my gosh, that really was eating up some part of my brain, right? If I, if, I, if I am somebody with OCD, if I know that there's one button I click to make sure that none of the burners are on, it's worth doing that regularly enough. And that's what this is. So that's what a review is. Again, way too much to get into here. And then the fifth, this is the really challenging one, is doing. <laughs> 
And the doing part is is huge. Uh, this is where you get to the point where you spend. Calling these five stages is a little deceptive. Um, David um, David Sparks says I, I think talked very intelligently about this. He opens up OmniFocus at the beginning of the day. He opens up OmniFocus at the end of the day, and then he just does tons of stuff all day long because he's not thinking about what he has to do. If something new comes up that he has to do, he tosses it in and he'll review it later. It's a brilliant way to work, but it's extremely difficult and it requires you to make a leap of faith uh, that there is some way to have a system external to your own brilliant mind that will allow you to accomplish this stuff. And then when you do it, you make a decision based on these four criteria uh, that are not just priority. If it was just priority, your stuff would be done, right? <laughs> you, you, you would never have a priority for more than a minute. Otherwise, you'd be monkey balls. It'd be, if it's a priority, it's done. The problem is we can't do everything right now. Largely because, you know, where they say time is, uh, you know, keeps what keeps everything from happening at the same time. <laughs> if you if you um, if you haven't figured out what the doing part of something is yet, you're not going to be able to do it. Your brain's going to go numb to it. But when it is time to do, and it's time to just churn through that list and deal with stuff based on all the interruptions and all the change and all the tumult and all the crazy, um, you're going to make a really smart decision based on a variety of uh, of different factors. And, and this is where we get into what's called the natural planning model. The natural planning model assumes that you understand what you do. It understands what your job, you understand what your job is. You understand what success in your job looks like. You just need a very lightweight way to understand how that can be accomplished. So, and we should talk more about context after, after you uh, tell me what you like, but you're going to choose based on one of four things or the admixture of four things. Number one, context. What, do you, what can you do right now? Can you make a phone call if you're scuba diving? <laughs> can you mow your lawn if you're on a plane? Well, there's a lot of things you can only do at certain times. Less and less for many of us. Like you can hop into the shell and, and do all kinds of stuff, probably scuba diving. Uh, but, but this the, point this is, goes back to the, the struggle that you yeah. have of deciding like priorities of, the, of all of these different things. Obviously, it's within context, but some things are important. Maybe how do you decide when you should be scuba diving when you shouldn't? Yeah, well, totally. And, and if you are scuba diving, are you able to enjoy it? Are you, or is your mind like you're underwater and making bubbles and all you can think about is all this stuff you're not doing? It sounds really extreme, but like uh, later on tonight when you can't sleep, you'll be thinking about this and that's when it'll be really useful. So, you know, when we only talk about priority, it leaves a lot of things aside. When, when we only focus on our mission statement and our priorities, it leaves out one very important thing, which is everything else in the universe. Because the universe doesn't care what your priority is. This ends up being a very important thing. Because uh, if the universe at that moment has you on a plane, you can't mow your lawn, right? If the universe, if, you, if your highest priority is writing a novel, but you only have 30 seconds available to you right now because you're changing planes right. or you're waiting to change place, if you don't have the time available to do a task, it doesn't matter how, priori how high priority it is. Uh, one of the other criteria, energy. This sounds crazy, but believe me, if you do not have the energy to undertake a high priority project, and you're not going to do a good job of it, I, I would suggest not doing it. Like if you're trying to reline your brakes, I would make sure you're good and awake. And uh, yeah, and the fourth one is priority. Context. What can I, what can I do right now? What, what uh, resources do I have at my disposal? Do I have, what, you know, can I make a call? Can I read? Can I write? All, and it's a good idea in context to think in terms of these physical verbs. You know, um, envision is not really a verb. What does it look like when you're envisioning? Well, I'm making a list. Okay, well, that sounds like right. Okay, fine. So that helps a lot. What is the context? Time available. Do I have the time 
if I only have a short period of time, I should really pick out a task that even if it's a low priority task, it's something that I can do right now. If I'm not super energetic, do I want to undertake a big piece of this? Well, probably not. But priority is a huge factor in that it, it will override different things. If you need to just buck up and get a little more energy for a high priority thing, you can do that. But you don't want to do that all the time. If you only ever pick by priority, you're, you're going to be going head to head with the universe. So that's the five stages of workflow I wasn't going to talk too much about. And I actually didn't because believe it or not, it's a huge part of the book. It, it is the, the functional component of getting things done. Once you get past the philosophical underpinnings is all about this workflow. Um, and you really, really need to read the book to get that. And it really does help to have that diagram hung up next to your desk because it will help you so much. You just imagine this thing. It's like, almost like a little pachinko game. There's this little thing that might be useful that falls in and it goes ting tong, ting tong, ting tong, and then it, it lands in the right place, which could be you typing right now and doing it, or it could be the trash, or it could be any variety of places in between. But there aren't a million places it could end up. There's just a few. And, and once you get good at it, it's like sorting your silverware. You, you know, it's like Wally trying to decide where the sport goes. It's like you're not going to sit there and agonize over what this pointy thing with four tines and a handle is. Like it's a fork, it goes in the fork area. That's where you will get with this. You will get to a point when someone hands you a piece of uh, career cutlery, you will very quickly understand which part of the drawer it goes in. Whew, I'm talking wow. about something like. Wow. Boom. Wow. Talking a lot in this one. A little. It's a lot, it's a lot to digest, Dan. It's a lot to digest. It is a lot. And I, that's why you say maybe, maybe we'll talk about it next time. We'll... <laughs> oh, we haven't even gotten into like the nuts and bolts. I know. But, um, I know. Yeah. Actually, this is, this is a pr- pr- pretty good amount. We'll go a little more, but you want to tell me about uh, anything else you like? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll tell you about, uh, these guys over at Studio Need. Are you familiar with these guys, Tom and Dan over there? Yes, I think I am. Okay. These are the guys. Are you going to made... need a sound effect for this, uh, Dan? Mm. Would you like one for, for Studio Neat? No. Okay. They made the glyph which is a tripod mount and stand for the iPhone 4, the 4S, the 5. They made the uh, stylus. They made the too, Cosmonaut, right? which is a uh, wide grip Cosmonaut. stylus for touchscreens. Mm-hmm. It was born mm-hmm. out of their desire to have a really great stylus for iPads. And this is one that feels just right. And I cut mine apart. Did I, I tell you that? that? We went to, well, we went to XOXO and these guys were up on stage and uh, they behind them on the screen, they had... Uh, the, the like sort of the prototypes for the stylus and it showed what it looked like on the inside. It had like the aluminum thing with the casing. And the first thing I did when I got back is I cut, cut, cut it up. I had to see what was in there, peeled it up. You're deranged. They also had a, uh, they have a book coming out or it's out actually. I'm sorry. It's called, it will be exhilarating. It's wow. about it, like indie capitalism and design entrepreneurship. And it's five bucks for that. And then they came out with an app called Framographer, which is time-lapse and stop-motion movies, which you should use with your Spider-Man to make a stop-motion movie. Gotta talk about Spider-Man. But anyway, these guys, they're really great guys. Austin, originally Austin, now they're up in uh, New York. I'm trying to get them to come back here. They make all what this a, what stuff. A, what, a, what a neat company. And, and they're not in one little box. Like, they're, they're picking projects that are gonna be, I don't know, I mean, I don't know these guys, but it, they're going and looking at their site. It's like, it's so cool. It's cool. That they're you know what I mean? I really, it's like going with people like Chris Glass or Jim Kudal, people who like have these places that are probably a little bit difficult to describe to the family at Thanksgiving, but doing these creative projects that, that all have a, a similar aesthetic. It's really cool. I love my cosmonaut. Yeah, I love it too. And you I ever I, use a husky pencil when you were little? Like, you know what? Yeah, yes, yes. 
husky. And like you'd, you'd go up husky and they, is, husky is 1970s for fat, by the way. Seriously. And you would go up to the, uh, to the, by the front door of the classroom and you would change the way pencil sharpener was set, whether it was for the husky pencil oh my God. or the regular pencil. Flashback. Yes. And you'd crank that thing up, sharpen your pencil and go sit down. And like, this was the way that if you knew you'd been screwing up and the te- there's no way the teacher was going to give you the hall pass to go to the restroom, that you could at least get up and sharpen a pencil. It's because you just break your lead on purpose right there on the desk. You'd be like, oh, break my leg right broke. There. Yeah. Oh, you remember that smell of that pencil sharpener oh, smells the so best. The, the <gasps> best. Oh, God. It makes me want to, makes me want to pull a girl's hair just smelling it. <laughs> yeah. a pencil. These things are anyway, great. And uh, once in a while, like, you know... The, the one teacher would have like the electric pencil sharpener over the front. You couldn't sharpen the Husky with that. Yep. But yeah, that's what the Cosmonaut is, like a Husky it's, pencil it's, for your it's, iPad. It's Talking about physical things. These guys make physical things. So go check them out. StudioNeat.com. Great, great guys who uh, we love to, uh, love to talk about how cool their stuff is. So uh, Tom and Dan, StudioNeat.com. Go check them out. Yeah, all right. Thanks to Studio Neat for supporting Five by Five and Back to Work. That's a great. That is a great uh, sponsor. Now, the, the reason I said Husky is because, like, when little kids are like those fat crayons, when little kids are first learning how to like hold a pencil, you know, like, you can give them a Husky, and it's a lot easier to hold. The Cosmonaut is so much easier to hold than uh, any other stylus I've used. Yeah, feels good. Love, it does feel good. It feels so good. I like their aesthetic. Sorry, I had to drop a Mangione. It's pretty good. What's it called? Flugelhorn? Where Flug- did you play? Flug- Flugelhorn. <laughs> oh my God, Dan, this is a lot of material. It we, is. Uh, what, how are we doing on time? We are at 93 minutes, so we're just oh, over well, an hour now. We should, yeah, you know what? We should probably st- stop soon, though. Um, I want to leave people on a um, on an inspiring note, though, I think. Let me okay. see if I can find anything inspiring here. Let's hear it. Do you think you'll keep reading the book? Yes, I will absolutely continue to read the book. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, you don't, don't feel like you have to. But, it, you know, it's got a lot of good stuff in it. Um, I, uh, I guess I would say for, for, for next week's show, we will definitely continue um, talking about this. So please, if you haven't gotten a copy of the book, uh, pick, up, pick it up. Um, again, more links I need to repurpose from last week. There's a great site a lot of people, I think, don't know about called worldcat.org. Have you ever gone there? Worldcat. And it can search basically all libraries in the world for something that you're looking for. And once mm. you've registered and put in your, your information, um, you can just go in and find any book you want and makes it easy to request it from a oh, local library. Cool. And yeah, so, and you know, the interlibrary loan stuff, there's um, so a lot of times it's surprisingly easy to get stuff that's a little obscure. Um, so that, that's a great place to look. ISBN.new, another cool site like that. Um, I put some links for that stuff in last week, but I need to reuse those for this week. Um, I guess what I would say for for next week, um, I, I, I realize this is all long winded and probably a little bit uh, histrionic, but if you if you get a chance, uh, pick up a copy of the book. I would say number two, get a copy of that workflow diagram that we'll put in notes, and uh, and I would also say uh, just to keep the high level, you might want to look at uh, this Mind Zone Wiki page. There there are there are numerous links in notes to things like summaries. Oh, yeah, a couple of more things in notes. Um, like I said, there's some 43 folders articles, some of my favorite 43 folders articles on getting things done. Some really good old interviews with David Allen from around the time Getting Things Done came out that are really good. Um, I also, uh, 
I think you'll enjoy this. If you are somebody who has done some getting things done, I did a 90-minute series of interviews with David Allen that we called Productive Talk in 2005. That's available in, uh, in notes. I think it's, it's really good. He said lots of stuff in there that I'd never heard him talk about before. Um, and I thought that was really good. So I would say look through the book, um, get a just general overall idea about the process. And then I think next week, I don't know if this is too boring, but it might be useful to talk about implementation of, of the system because it can be very challenging to people. Even if you make it past the big hump, Mm. Of under of understanding, you mean of understanding why this would be worth your time. Right. If you let's can just assume that. people at this point, if they're still listening right now, they're in. They're in. They're all in now. Okay. Well, so I, I, why I do think. that? Let's yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. Um, and then we can either talk about Spider Man or the horizontal versus uh, vertical. Okay. Uh, planning. Would you? Should we talk about Spider Man? Uh, yeah. Spider-Man. I see. I, I feel weird talking about it. All right. Then, then I don't want to talk about it anyway. I don't care. Um. Uh, several episodes back, we um, we talked about this Spider-Man mm-hmm. figure, right? Yes, we did. Okay, I'm trying to figure it out. Okay, so this Spider-Man has 67 points of articulation. Dan, Dan, do you think people understand what a point of articulation is? If you ever had an action figure or a doll, this is where the thing moves or bends. If it's where you, it's got a little joint and a bends. joint, a joint, like a Star Wars figure from the classic um, from my period had very few. It had four. like probably five points of articulation, five including the head. Your th- the head, yeah, yeah. But if the head even maybe rotated, but like this Jean Grey, this little Jean Grey I've got here, like her fingers go up and down mm, with her hand. You can move her wrist, you can move her arm, you can move, elbow's got a joint. So it's pretty well articulated. This Spider-Man has 67 points of art. Every finger on his hand, wherever you have a knuckle, he has a knuckle. And we mentioned this uh, the other the, a few episodes back, and I mentioned how I'm never going to have one in my life because it was too costly and, and my wife would kill me. And somebody sent me one. Somebody sent, somebody sent me... They just sent it to you out of the blue. Put it in show notes. Somebody sent me a 67 points of articulation Spider-Man. And now here's the complicated part. Is I don't know who it's from. I think it was via Amazon. And so I, I'm on a mission to find out who sent this. You, you, you're on a mission of mercy. Now I'm on a mission of, oh my God, he shoots, Dan shoots a web. He's got three different webs. He's, he's got a little web. <laughs> the weird thing. You, the first thing you said is, is this for me? And I was like... Because you love Spider-Man. Well, I do love Spider-Man, but if I had if I had that, I, I'm not sharing that. I totally understand. Look at that. You can make him do a fancy dance. Anyway, it's in show notes, but... Uh, so cool. It is, and it's... Did you see in the photos I sent you how big? He's like, he's like, he's huge. He's heavy. He's got heft. It's really big. Anyway, I, I'm, I'll find out who, who sent this, but I... Uh, it's really super nice. 60. That's a lot of points of articulation. Yeah. We probably should, should, should save the horizontal and vertical for next week. All right. But anybody, uh, you know, like I say, with the birthday stuff, thank you to, to people who uh, wish me. You know, when you get to my age, you, you, you get very uh, sentimental and very reflective and incontinent. <laughs> incontinent, that's Latin for reflective. Hmm. Do <laughs> you think we're helping people, Dan? <laughs> well, we were. Yeah. 67 points. You want to button this up? I, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. Would you prefer to keep talking? Well, obviously, but I mean, there's a limit. Do you to, really want to keep talking? Mm-hmm. We can cut all that out. I think we got a lot here, Dan. All right. I think this is a lot. If you go back and listen to this, which you won't, this is a lot of information. Well, I'll, I'll listen to it. 
Do you want me to talk about horizontal versus vertical? I no, will if not, you want. Nah, you know what? It's I'm th- just thinking back. It's too much. We got to. We got to stop. Have no, we got to stop. We got to stop. It's there's a lot. Uh, hour and forty minutes is a lot of minutes. I know. Okay, you want to button this up? Yes, let's button this up. Okay, I love you. I love you too, Merlin Mann. 